Hey, it's Tom with Forging Ahead, and I've got Emma Brodner here with me today. Emma, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself, however you like to be introduced. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom, for having me. Um, I'm Emma. I'm currently the Director of People Operations at Lola.com. And let's see, I'm a mom, I'm a dancer, I'm a runner, I'm an avid outdoors person. Uh, <laughs> I'm lots of things. Cool. Um, I guess the, uh, I'd love to start by talking about your path a little bit and it seems somewhat unique, you know, and when I do my research before I talk to folks, I typically use LinkedIn as a way to sort of follow the path that you you've taken. And I guess, tell me a little bit about how you ended up as the director of people ops at Lola.com. Sure. Uh, it's funny. I always say I, I haven't had so much of a career path as sort of a career scribble. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, but I, so I originally went to school for English and philosophy and I always thought that I wanted to be a professional writer and specifically writing for um, like a magazine. And I graduated in the midst of the recession. And so it kind of all of a sudden it wasn't about, you know, getting your dream job. It was about getting a job that pays money. Um, so I spent, uh, I had one year out of college. I was working like three jobs. I was working in a grocery store and a gift shop and doing all sorts of things. And then slowly with every move, I kind of got closer and closer to, to being a professional writer. Um, and let's see, two jobs before this was my first job that I, I got hired. I was always doing freelance work, but this was my first full-time job um, writing. And it was really exciting. Um, and my this was at a company called Tech Target in Newton, Mass. And my topic area of coverage was HR technology. And so I had never... I didn't know anything about it, but, you know, determined to learn. And I was really surprised by, so I was on the folks, I was on the phone with HR folks all day. And I was, I was so surprised that I, I found it really fascinating thinking about people strategically in a business. And I actually kind of toyed with the idea of like, well, do I want to get a certification in HR or go back to school? Like, is this what I want to do? Um, and then at that job, I actually had the opportunity to interview Katie Burke at HubSpot, uh, who at the time was their PR manager and is now the <laughs> chief people officer. So I got to interview her uh, about HubSpot's culture. And this was back when HubSpot was was relatively small. And um, I made that connection with her. And then I think it was about a year and a half later, I got an opportunity to join HubSpot on the, the blog team. So I kind of said, okay, well, you know, I'll set aside this HR thing for a little bit and I'll, I'll go and be content marketer. And um Throughout my time at HubSpot, I, I, I loved working the blog team. Um, I became a manager, and then I started managing more people and more people. And I, I sort of realized that I was much more passionate about the management side of my job than I was about marketing. And again, it reminded me back of the job previous to that, that I, I just thought HR and people were so fascinating. Um, so, so yeah, I made the decision that I wanted to move into people ops and Lola was kind enough to take a chance on someone who had a very untraditional background. And that was about a year ago. It's been great. <laughs> can you, um, can you give me your definition of what people ops is? Sure. Sure. Uh, so I think that, I think some companies kind of use people ops and HR interchangeably. Um, I actually think they're they're two different 
two different uh, functions. So HR is is incredibly important. Um, what I think about in terms of true core HR is um, benefits, comp, um, employee relations, you know, things that we need to do as a company to stay like, you know, compliant, right? A lot of kind of the more I would consider like administrative reactive tasks. Um, that's um, about kind of a service or um, a service or organization and also um, making sure that, you know, we're, we're remaining compliant. We do, we're doing the things that we have to do to mitigate risk. Um I think in terms of people apps, I would say to me, that's a little bit more of the proactive um, arm of HR. So how are we being strategic in terms of people? Um, things like, you know, recruiting is, is obviously a very process oriented function, but it's also has so much to do, especially in this really competitive talent markets, has so much to do with, you know, marketing and employer brand. And how are you attracting folks to, you know, work at, you're, how are you even getting on their radar, you know, um, what, long before you have an open role that they might be interested in? Um, you know, things like learning and development. So how are you retaining your folks? How are you ensuring that they're growing and they're being fulfilled and they're, they're gaining new skills at your organization? So that, that to me is the difference. Okay, that's helpful. Um, I guess the place that I'd like to go next would be... <clears throat> Based on, it sounds like there's this common thread of you got introduced to HR by covering HR tech and then kind of weaved to a slightly different role at HubSpot and ended back, you know, in a closely related HR position. Um, How did you learn how to do this? (laughs) It's a great question. And I don't know if I have learned to do it. (laughs) Um, You know, I think... I'll say a couple things. First of all, HubSpot was an unbelievable experience for me. I just learned so much through osmosis there. Um, I mean, their people function is world-class. Um, and I was very fortunate enough to have lots of friends in, in the people org and, you know, pick a lot of people's brain, have lunch and, um, just really, I learned so much, even though I wasn't in that formal role there, just from being there and talking to folks and observing. So that was, I mean, really, uh, I always say when I, I feel like when I worked at HubSpot, I got paid to get my MBA. Um, (laughs) So I'm so, so grateful for that experience. Um, It is interesting. So when I did interview for, for the job at Lola, um, I, I, I said, so my, my boss is um, Stacy Scott, who's our VP of people ops. And she also heads up our our services org. And I said, you know, I I don't really have a traditional background in HR, but I think I can do it. I want to do it. I'm really passionate about it. And she was like, well, people ops is, is more or less just management. Like, are you a good manager? And I was like, yeah, I love management. She's like, yeah, it's like that at scale. And I mean, obviously that's an oversimplification, um, but it is kind of the core skills that you need really are things that come along with being a people manager. Um, and so there's, there's so much that I'm still learning. I kind of feel like the same way I do about management, which is that you're never really like, there's no such thing as, you know, I've learned people apps, right? Like obviously there are, there are tactical things to learn, but it, it's, you're just kind of always, always in a process of learning. I've learned a ton. I still have a lot, a lot to learn. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's going to be an ongoing thing. What's drawn you towards, I guess, maybe we break this up into two pieces. So when you say management, mm-hmm. 
if you could riff on what you mean by that, and then the follow-up would be what draws you or what's drawn you to management? Yeah, I love, I love being a people manager. Um, I think it's the most rewarding job that someone can have. It's also a really, really difficult job. But I remember um, Clay Christensen, who I think passed away not not too long ago, but he wrote an yeah. article for HBR that I love um, that was called like, how do you measure your life? And I remember him saying something that like good management, regardless of industry, regardless of company is one of like the most noble professions that you can have because you are investing in people and helping them learn and grow and um, having like a huge impact on their lives. Um, so that's, that's something I think about a lot. I think that, uh, I mean, I think management to me is all about um, helping someone grow, you know, learning about learning about them, right? Like what are, what are your hopes and dreams? Like what are the things that motivate you and what doesn't motivate you? You know, like where are you trying to go in life? <laughs> Not just your career. Um, and really acting as a partner to help someone get there. And, and that all the tactical things that goes, get, go with that, right? Like delivering feedback and, um, uh, you know, performance reviews and uh, helping someone navigate a career ladder, right? All those are, are well and good. But at the end of the day, it's really investing in other people and, and caring about other people um, and, and wanting to see other people grow. I'm super motivated by that. Not everyone is, and that's okay. Um, but that to me is like, it's like people ops on a, again, like uh, <laughs> people management, like a one-on-one -on -one relationship is kind of on the micro level. People ops to me feels like that on a macro level. Where did that come from? Where did just that, like I'm hearing that helping people, serving people is really important to you and something that you get fulfillment from, like, where does that come from? Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good question. Honestly, I think that in my own, my own life, um, I think if I had talked to, if you were interviewing Emma 10 years ago, um, she would be like, absolutely not. I don't want to be a manager. Like I thought I wanted to be a writer because I was really introverted. And I was like, I love to just do my own thing all day. Right. Like tap, tap on a keyboard. I think that was actually what was so surprising to me is when I took that job and I was interviewing HR people, I was like, this is fascinating. Like I was so interested by it. And then, um, when I became a manager at HubSpot again, I was sort of like, well, you know, I think this will be cool, but let's see. It, it surprised me, honestly, just like how much I was, I really was uh, motivated by it. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I don't know if I have a great response other than um, it surprised me too. And listen, I'm learning a lot about people apps and learning a lot about my job. I'm also learning a lot about myself as I go. <laughs> I love it. What, um, thinking about some, like your time at HubSpot and your time at Lola.com, um, and how much you enjoy people management, like what personal principles have you developed or like the, the simple way to ask this is like, how does somebody get good at management? Like what's in there and what do you think about personally? Yeah. Um, I think number one, you have to care. I think that's, that's really the cost of admission to being a great manager is just you have to care. Um, and again, it's sometimes people are managers and, and they don't not say they, they don't care because they're bad people, but maybe they just, it's not their thing. And like, that's okay. Right. I think that 
any, I, I, I kind of think that what separates people who are like good managers from people who are not good managers is just people who are motivated by, um, by enabling someone else to flourish. Not everyone is, and that's okay. Um, but, but that's kind of the cost of admission if you want to be a good manager. Um, I think listening is huge. I, I've had, I remember one of my mentors said to me, like, you know, it's not about like telling people the answer. It's not about giving someone your advice. It's about helping them figure out, helping them, giving them the framework to help them think it through themselves. Um, All right. Think about that. I mean, obviously there are training situations where someone, you know, literally does not know how to do something and you have to you know, show them. and, And that's different. I mean, if we're thinking about coaching, um, you know, nobody likes to be told what to do, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. we all, yeah, we all need, um, all of us has a, have a need to kind of bounce ideas off of someone. And I think that having that listening capability and that facilitation capability um, is is probably the most important tool in the in the manager's uh, toolbox, so to speak. Questions are huge. And I have to remind myself this all the time. I have a running um, Google Doc with each of my direct reports. Or I did at HubSpot. And I would I would always write at the top of it. I'd be like, start with questions. Or like, I would, I would like start, I would try to like prepare the questions that I wanted to ask this person this week. And not like leading them to get to a particular answer. But like, you know, I think we need to dive deeper in this. Or um, I think there's something here. Um, so yeah, listening is huge. And then empathy um, to, you know, can you put yourself in this other person's shoes? Um, I think that sometimes people hear empathy and they think, oh, this, that's this like squishy thing. And it just means like, you know, someone is complaining and you're like, oh my gosh, that sounds awful. <laughs> and I don't think that's the case at all. I think empathy is really about perspective taking. It's just, um, you know, have I considered where this person is coming from? Um, you know, and, and being aware that, uh, being aware of your own your own biases and your own thinking, because there's so many times where I've I've caught myself managing other people the way I like to be managed, right? <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute, like this person isn't me, unless I've explicitly asked someone, like, hey, what do you think about this? Like, I don't know, right? Like, they're a totally different person. Um, so those are, I mean, those are some big ones, but obviously there's <laughs> there's so many, and still practicing the art of management. Yeah, I think um, a couple questions to follow up on that. Um, how do you, like, what tools do you use to learn about how somebody likes to be managed? Yeah, so I'm a really low tech person. <laughs> I'm kind Me of worried. Um, I, there's not really like a technology that I love. Like, there's so many like pieces of software out there today of like, um, you know, tools that, that are help, help you have better one-on-ones, help you be a better manager, right? I think all those things are wonderful if they work for you. I just don't personally, um, I don't know. They don't, they're not really my thing. I think just, uh, I'm always trying to read up on, on different questions to ask folks or trying to read different. Um, I read a lot about like management, leadership, um, that kind of thing. So I think to, to me, it's more about reading and, and, um, you know, learning, reflecting on, on management than like, a a piece of software or a tool. Is there any, um, any framework or philosophy that you've gotten from your reading that you like to apply to what you do from, I guess I'm really interested in, in managing people as individuals. So I'm trying to pull on the thread of, 
you know, if you have eight people who report to you that want to be or need to be met, managed or led in different ways, like how do you learn about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I really love Radical Candor. Um, I think that that was a book that a lot of people really loved. But but I, what to me that was all about was um, it, it has the frameworks in there that you can use and kind of like plug and play, apply to your own situation. But that care personally piece is what makes it individual to every person, right? Like I can't just be like, okay, now I'm going to check the care personally box. Like (laughs) that requires like getting to know someone. I I really love that book just because it made it very clear that um, a relationship is an investment and it takes time. You know, like to get to know someone takes time. I think we're all in such a rush, especially in tech. Everything has to happen tomorrow. And oh my God, right. Um, and it's so tempting to want to try and like check a box and be like, okay, like, you know, manage this person, check. And and that just doesn't even make sense. I, honestly, it's, it's, yeah, taking, building a relationship takes time and getting to know someone as an individual takes time. And that's the thing is everyone, I, most people know how to get to know other people as individuals. They're just impatient, you know, and um that's what I loved about that book was that it was like, yeah, that's going to take some time and it's an investment. Um, and before you can really give someone direct feedback, you have to make that investment and there is no shortcut. I love that. I think that's really strong. Are there any, um, questions, specific questions that you like to use? Like if you think about your Google sheet for each person that rolled up to you at HubSpot and the top of your sheet lead with questions like, is there a specific question or two that you like to use to prompt people? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite ones, and this is like a really, really simple one, but I think it's so tempting for one-on-ones to go into just very much like, okay, here's what I'm doing. Like da, 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 like kind of a recitation of a, um, a to-do list, which is fine. Right. And some, some check-ins have to be like that. Um, and some people love their one-on-ones that way. I always try to, um, make sure that, uh, I ask, how are you? Um, as a human, sometimes I'll add like as a human and people kind of like laugh, like, ha ha, or I'll be like, how is like your life going? You know? Um, and it's really simple, but I, I noticed myself, I would get in the trap of like, what's going on. And it's like, if you ask what's going on, well then obviously that's going to lend itself to like, okay, I'm doing X and Y and A and Z. Right. If you say like, how are you doing as a person in your life? You know, like I just noticed people kind of like tend to like shut the computer and they're like, oh, well, this is happening and da da, Right. Um, and that's kind of where you start to make those connections. Are you, um, familiar with Jerry Colonna? I'm not. I'll send you, um, do you like hard books or Kindle or how do you read? A hard, hard book. I'm a Luddite. Yeah. All right. I'm going to send you uh, (laughs) Jerry's book. It's called Reboot, but he's got a podcast by the same name called Reboot and he coaches, um, entrepreneurs and it's got like a little bit of a, a woo-woo therapy sort of feel to it. But he said the question that he asks people that makes more people cry than anything else is just, how are you? Yeah. And he's looking to cut through, like, usually if you ask a founder how they're doing, they're like, oh, we're crushing it. You know, we got this going on. We're, we're crushing it. He's just like, no, no, no. How are you? Yeah. I just want to know how you are. I love that you said that and yeah. that you're not familiar familiar with Jerry. So I'm going to send you that, <laughs> that book because it's awesome. But um, I will 
say one other thing that, that came to mind as you were, as you were um, talking, one other thing that I like to do, and this is obviously requires like a deft touch because I don't want to pry ever. But sometimes um, I think people who are more um, hesitant or if you sense there's something else going on, I'm also kind of big about thinking about your intuition. Like if you're kind of like feeling like there's something here that's like, it's not being said, that's something I will explicitly call out. I'll be like, you know what? I'm kind of feeling like there's something here that we're not talking about, you know, like, what is that? Right. And sometimes people are like, nope, everything's fine. Right. Even though I'm like, mm, is everything fine? And But I, again, it's like, I, that's totally fine. Like that's up to you, whether we want to, you know, you want to go there or not. Um, but I think time is like, I think about listening to what's not being said, you know, and calling that out explicitly of like, what, what's not, what's not happening in this conversation. How did you learn that stuff? <laughs> I don't think everybody has that. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I've had so many great mentors, honestly. Like, I've had so many people that I've been unbelievably fortunate that people have invested in me. Um, I have uh, one of my one of my mentors is named uh, Laura Parrott. She, uh, I worked with her at HubSpot, um, or not even really worked with her, you know, closely, but. Um, but she was in the people ops org and I, we kind of became like lunch coffee buddies and she is just an unbelievable coach. Um, so even just like, <laughs> it's weird because like reflecting on the things that she would ask me, you know, I was kind of like, Oh wow. Like that's like really good. Holy cow. You know, like I, I would, I would try to really know like what she was saying to me. Um, that was great. And then I have another, uh, um, another friend in Peepops one time who, who told me about, she was like, you know what? Um, she reflected that back on me one time. I was, I was really struggling with something and she's like, you know, I'm, I'm having this like gut feeling that like you think this. And I was just automatically like, yes. Like, how did you know that? Right. And she was like, yeah, like, it's okay to like, if you're sensing something in a conversation, like it's okay to just use that gut feeling and kind of go with it. You might be wrong and that's okay. Like you can always be like, I was totally wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I've learned so much from, from people. <laughs> I've been very lucky. I want to try to make my, maybe a hard transition. And if, if we can maybe circle back to some of this stuff, but, um, I want to think about or talk about recruiting and hiring. And then once somebody's hired, what do you do? So like recruiting, hiring, onboarding, and then I think like employee retention sounds so like surgical or vanilla. It's like, there's no human element to that, but I don't have better words for it. So I guess starting at the kind of top end of the funnel, and I think you called it like employer branding to recruiting and hiring. Did I give you enough there to like take that and start somewhere? Sure. Yeah. Um, so recruiting is, is what I have been since I've joined Lola, um, recruiting rolls up to me and that has been a fun adventure because, of, <laughs> uh, I've been a hiring manager, right. Up until this point, I have never been a recruiter. I have never managed a recruiting organization. Um, but it's been an amazing opportunity. I've learned just, I, I have to say my eyes have been opened by, I have such a new respect for recruiters. It is just a hard job. Um, and I'm not even talking about like the market. I'm talking about just like, there's so many different skills that go into recruiting and to have them all in one person is just like mind blowing. Like you're my managing hiring managers, you're managing like candidates, right? Like you have to, 
if you're doing heavy sourcing, you have to be really creative, like to manage the process, you have to be super detail oriented, you're managing schedules, like there's just so many components to it. And something I think about a lot, and um, I've hired a recruiter here who who is amazing, and um, we we have a <laughs> we check in every day. We have lots of fun conversations, um, but it's just like when you are dealing with, um, you know, on our end, we have so many candidates, right, in our ATS. But to the candidate, right, it's their experience, and it's sort of like you have to work on that macro level and that micro level. There's so many little things that have to be coordinated in a recruiting process. And even just like one goes wrong, that can really change this person's experience. So you have to just be so, so mindful of how all these things fit together. Um, man, it has just been unbelievable to me. And I mean, I some the best recruiters, I think, just make it look like so easy. But now I'm understanding that like, oh my God, they're doing like the duck thing where they look so placid on the surface. And then I'm sure they're just like paddling like bananas underneath because that's how yeah. I feel. Um, but yeah. What about, um, I'd love to maybe get into a little bit of detail, um, if you can about the Lola process, like the hiring process, like what could a candidate expect from kind of first contact until either they get hired or not get hired? Yeah. Um, I think about, so, so it's interesting. I, I want our process to be human. I want it to be different um, in certain respects. And then I want it to be standardized in other respects. And I'll explain that. Um, so in terms of creative, I think that creativity is huge in recruiting today, um, especially if you're in if you're competing for talent like we are. Um, I think the worst thing you can do is blend in. Like to me, it's like if I can write a really great message or and if some I think it's a better reaction if someone's like, oh my God, I love this. And other people are like, oh, I hate this. Like that is better than everyone's just like, oh yeah, this is another, Meh. you know, like they're getting like so many messages a day. It's like, how can I stand out? I am a really corny person. I have so many awful puns and my recruiting messages are just filled with like terrible, awful puns. And it's like, sometimes people laugh and then sometimes they're like, oh, you know, it was just like, it was a strange lady, but that's, that's so much better than you know, oh, we have an exciting opportunity. Right? Like how many times have you heard that? Um, so I think, I mean, it's, it's also, that's very authentic to me, you know, like our Frankie, our recruiter, like he writes different messages. He's a different person. Like, that's great. Like as long as we're being authentic to ourselves and we're standing out in some way, I'm happy. Um, Where could somebody expect to see those messages? So when you talk about that type of messaging, like it, and apologies, if this isn't the right framework, but I'd think about recruiting as a funnel. So like those messages that happen like top of funnel, like this big pool of people is going to see these unique messages that they either love or hate. Like where are they seeing those? Um, so we do, we'll do cold outreach via email. Um, if an email address is publicly available, obviously we're, you know, GDPR compliant here, <laughs> not trying to, you know, <laughs> yep. not trying to do any crazy data stuff. Um, or LinkedIn. We do a lot of outreach on LinkedIn. Um, and every message I send, I'll look at this person's profile. I'll call out something interesting that I saw. Um, you know, we have common interests or they speak this language or, you know, whatever it is. I love looking at volunteer experience. I'm a really passionate volunteer. And I think that speaks volumes of like, you know, you're, you're giving back in some way. Um, and if, I always, yeah, with, with folks who, who volunteer, I usually just say like, thank you so much. Even if nothing else, like, thank you for investing in the community. That's so huge. Um, so yeah. 
And then, um, as somebody becomes like engaged in the process, like, is it a standard, you know, 30 minute phone screen and then some kind of in-person rounds? Like, how do you guys do that piece of the process? Yeah. So at this, as it exists today, we just have, (laughs) so we didn't really have a process until like three months ago. So we are really in like kind of the early stages of, of really building out what recruiting means here. And I think we have work to do to really um, separate our, ourselves, right? To up until this point, it's kind of, we're just, we're just getting our hiring managers used to using a kind of a standard process. Um, so at this point, I wouldn't say we do anything really spectacularly different. Um, but I will say that we, our process is customizable via, by hiring manager by rec. So we don't, from a recruiting perspective, we don't say, hey, if you're hiring for this role, you have to do a phone screen, then you have to do this, and you have to do that, right? We say, here are all the kind of like a menu of options that's available to you and how you could structure your interview process. And then we do a, um, at the beginning of every search, we do what's called a search kickoff meeting, where either myself or Frankie will sit down with the hiring manager and help them think through how should we design this interview process that it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to help you evaluate candidates and make a confident decision. It's also going to be a good experience for the candidate. So sometimes it involves, you know, different assessments or exercises. Sometimes we do really expedited processes. Sometimes we do a lengthy one, right? It kind of is, we let the hiring manager sort of drive and we're the, the, in a consultative seat. I love that. Do you think that, is that something that when Lola gets to 500 people that, people will still be able to do so like customizable by hiring manager by job post and like the ability to select pieces from a menu really lands with me if I was thinking about hiring somebody is that something that scales to larger teams too you know what we'll find out as we go (laughs) (laughs) I can accept that okay I, I mean I think we're a startup right and and kind of I think you can got I personally um I'm a little bit, uh, so coming from HubSpot, that was like 3,000 employees when I left and coming to a company that's 100 employees. I mean, that's just, your horizon is just so different. So mm-hmm. I think you can kind of get stuck in like, well, can I build this and how much will it scale? Will it scale forever, right? And it's kind of like, you know what? Build something that's going to work for the next like three months, you know? And then in three months time, like you can reevaluate, you can change it. Um, but it's, it's almost like you can, slow your, <laughs> you can slow yourself down trying to think about scalability too much. <laughs> I love that. Um, something that you've mentioned a few times that I find interesting is the candidate's experience. Like, and you said you want it to be human and you want it to be creative. Are there any special things that you've implemented to improve the way that a candidate experiences the process? Um, I not. Nothing major as of yet. There are definitely some things that I have kind of like percolating um, that Frankie and I have percolating. Um, that, that's going to be, I would say, ruled out the next like few months. Like our, our process, where we're at the phase right now is sort of like, let's just get everyone into this process. We just rolled out a new ATS as of January 1st. So like, you know, helping people understand the technology and okay, this is how we do this. Um, but there are definitely things that I, that I have <laughs> in my head that I want to roll out. Um Okay. Um, what about after somebody is hired? After somebody is hired. Yeah. Um, one thing, actually one of the first things that, um, one of the first projects I took on when I started was 
putting together onboarding plans for folks. Um, when I started, I think the company was around like 60-ish people. Um, and so it, it had very, very much been, you know, someone new comes and like, well, you just sit with your manager or like you just kind of figure it out or, you know, learn from other people. And that's not a bad thing, right? Um, but I... Uh, as we grow and scale, that that is definitely not, not necessarily scalable and not necessarily a great experience. So mm-hmm. um, what I did was I rolled out a template for new hire plans. Um, so saying like, uh, there, there's some boilerplate in here that says like, here's what Lola is. And like, here is, you know, how we have lunch, like kind of like putting out to all those um, norms, things that happen around the office that, you know, you can join. Um or, you know, you know where the bathroom is, or, you know, you have to have your badge to enter at such and such a time, you know, things like that. Um, but then there's, there's half of it is customizable by the manager. So thinking about, okay, within your first 30, 60, 90 days, what are the goals that you're, that you're trying to hit? What are the expectations for you? Um, how is the team going to work together? How are we going to support you? Um, things like that. So that was, so we've had them for about a year now. Um, and it was definitely, uh, I would say not everyone was super on board at first. Some people were really excited. Other people were like, oh, do we really need to do this? And now it's been, it's been some time. And we, we actually, I collected data about it in one of our um, employee surveys last fall about um, that correlated people who got one of those plans were actually had a higher ENPS score. Um, so then when I reflected that back to the managers, they were like, oh, wow, okay, this actually has um, a big impact on how people feel about work. So now we're, we're uh, yeah, I think it's like, close to hundred percent adoption at this point, which is awesome. Got it. Um, I want to ask a question that potentially could derail us a little bit here, but <laughs> I'm ask it anyways, just thinking about that transition and um, just to ask this as broadly as possible, like how do you think about culture and like building culture and being intentional about what it's like to work at Lola.com? Yeah. I, I think it all comes down to values. Um, I think values are worth being incredibly intentional about um, and really, really being thoughtful about um, codifying those values. Because I think that if you do your values well, or not even, you know, well, but if your values are reflective of, um, you know, your culture that you have today and the culture that you want to build, what you, you know, your the aspirational component of that, um, those values will go a long way in supporting that kind of like organic growth, right? Because culture isn't something that you can be like, here I am, I'm building a culture every day. Here are my culture tasks. Like that doesn't exist. Um, but uh, I think that's that's the, the role of values is if you set those values right, that's kind of this, this guidepost for other things to happen organically um, based on those values. So to me, it's like values are something that's worth being super, super clear and intentional about. How would you coach somebody through like pulling those values out and getting them on paper? Yeah, um, I think that any values exercise is going to be half kind of like observing what's already happening. Um, You know, what do people, and and it can kind of be a sort of an interview process, right? Um, Talk to some of your folks, your star performers, the people who are new, people who've been here for a long time, right? Get Get a good like swath of different perspectives and like, you know, what is it that you like about working here? What's different about working here than like anywhere else? 
Um, what do you think is going to make us successful in, you know, two, three, four, five years, whatever. Um, that's definitely part of that data because you want it to be reflective of, of the group of people um, that you have. And right, like any group of people has a culture, <laughs> you know, so you want it to feel authentic and, and owned. Um, but at the same time, I think about values in terms of um, from a high level where what are the values that are going to drive the behaviors that you want to see at this organization and where you're going? What's going to be super, super important for you um, to see in, in, in folks that's going to help you win in your industry or help you deliver amazing service or whatever it is that you do? Um, and then I think the last thing in terms of values is, again, like be creative and be different. Like I think the worst thing that you can do with values is just have those values that just sound like every everyone else's because it just honesty. <laughs> yeah, like we value honesty. Honesty is such a wonderful value, right? But like it's it's if all of your values are just like honesty and integrity and leadership, you know, the collaboration, like what does that mean? You know? Um and then I think I think that's what I would say lastly is is be really um it's one of those things I think about as a writer is like, it's almost harder to write something short than long. Right. But like, it's worth taking the time to get really, really specific on what you mean by this value. And then to boil it down to like its absolute essence. It's not always my strong suit, but <laughs> I try. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I think that's, a, you set me up for a pretty good transition here, I think. And way back in your background, like when you got out of school and you wanted to be a professional writer, um, it seems like it's something that you still spend a lot of time doing. And I, I've read some of your stuff that um, you've shared on LinkedIn that's gotten published on Inc. And um, I want to ask you about a couple of different articles, but I also want to ask just a couple of writing questions in particular. And how important has that like foundational writing ability been in your day-to-day -day job? It, it is important. <laughs> it's really important to me. Um, I will also say though, that I am, I'm a good writer and that's kind of my preferred method of, of communication is I'm definitely a written person. However, like verbal presentations, oh my gosh, <laughs> like I am not an off the cuff person. I need a lot of time to prepare. Um, and so it's sort of, to me, it's kind of like whatever your, your mode of communication is, you know, not saying like everyone has to be a writer, you know, it's sort of like, well, what's your thing. Right. And then just get good at, good at that. Um, practice that. So I also, by the way, I have written, <laughs> I've spent so, so many hours writing that like, um, you know, you just, it's also a matter of practice. If you want to get a good writer, just, if you want to get to be a good writer, just write, write a lot you get better at it. My old writing is terrible. My current writing to 10 years from now me is terrible. So yeah. Do you have a, um, like a specific process that you use when you write? Like, do you sit in the same spot? Do you have a routine that you go through? Um, not really, honestly, I would say the one thing that remains pretty, um, remains pretty constant is that I'm a, I'm a type of person who I sort of like ruminate on things for a little bit. So I kind of have like an idea and then I kind of like work on it in the back of my head for like a few days before. And then by the time I get like, I'm ready to sit down and write, like it just kind of all comes out. Cause I've been sort of thinking about it. So I always, I start with like an outline first. I'm like, okay, here's my core idea. Like, all right, what do I want to add on to that idea? What would my title be? I also, I think it's hugely, I'm not a person who, who waits to the end to write their title. I usually write my title 
um, pretty, pretty close to the beginning. Um, but yeah, it's like the thinking process takes me longer. And once I get to the actual writing part, it goes fairly quickly. Got it. Um, so some things that you've written about, I feel like this one is, is pretty timely, but, um, how does somebody, or I guess your thoughts on remote work. And if you were coaching, um, like a small startup on how to set like a good foundational policy for remote work, like, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, remote work is part about like the nuts and bolts, right? Like, do you have the technology set up so that people can meet via video conferencing? Um, that is the less difficult stuff, <laughs> right? That's pretty straightforward. To me, remote work is all about goals and expectations. I think it has, I, I've seen so much stress um, about like throughout the years about like, well, if someone's working from home, like how do we really know that they're working? And the truth is you don't. And I also just think like, why do you care? You know, like that's neither here nor there, right? Like if you're in the office 40 hours a week, that's not guaranteed that you're going to be an amazing, like time and time and results are not um, linearly correlated in the knowledge industry. <laughs> like for sometimes they are, but in, in, for knowledge workers, they're not. So to me, it's like, it really doesn't matter what, where you work, when you work, all that stuff, as long as you're getting done what you need to get done. And that is, that's on managers, right? Like if you, if, if you have an employee that is not, that, that you're not sure, <laughs> that's a larger problem, right? If you're not sure what this person is supposed to achieve, uh-oh, like that's, that's a bigger problem than like, are they working from home or are they on the beach? It's like, you don't know what this person is supposed to be doing, like, oof. You should probably know that regardless of where they work. Is a fair way to sum that up. Like it's really an outcomes thing, right? Like you said, goals and expectations. But if you, if you've done a good job before this person comes on board for what you're looking for them to accomplish, is it fair to say it doesn't matter where they work from? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the, other, the other part of that, though, is like the manager needs to have a clear idea of like what the expectations are and what the outcomes are. But then that that means it needs to be communicated clearly in some way. Um, I've been <laughs> I had so many instances where I thought I've been like crystal clear. Right. And then I'll ask someone like, oh, so, you know, uh, what did you hear me say? And they'll be they'll say something like completely different. Like, oh, my gosh. Right. Um, so making sure that you're you're building in some kind of, um, you know, <laughs> no matter how clear you're being, being like. <laughs> 50% more clear, right? Like making sure that, that it's not just, you know, the, the expectations and outcomes aren't, aren't just in your head, but they're, they're understood by your direct report too. And that's, that's also work. Um, but I mean, once you're on that same page, then yeah, remote work is just even, it's kind of irrelevant. <laughs> the next piece I want to ask you about and something you mentioned earlier is getting effective at giving and receiving feedback. What are some of your thoughts around that? Um, I, I'll do another plug for Radical Candor. I think Radical Candor is an amazing book, um, especially for new managers and, and folks who are just starting to think about, you know, how do I give feedback? Um, 
But I mean, there are plenty of things to read in terms of like how to give the mechanics of feedback. Um, I learned um, SBI at HubSpot and we use this at Lola too. Um, so right, situation behavior impact. That's like a good way to frame a specific nugget of feedback. Um, and there's a lot of different, you know, frameworks like that's not the best one, but you know, there's a lot of different things, whatever works for you is going to work for you. Um, I think that the one thing I would say is that it's a practice. I think that's something that people don't hear enough, um, is that like I've botched feedback, (laughs) not just once, not just twice, like many times. Right. Um, and it's really shitty and hard when you do, it doesn't feel good. Um, But it's like anything else, like you're not going to get better at it unless you do it and you practice it. And um, I've definitely had some times where I've just like totally, totally uh, did not do a good job delivering feedback. But I always would go back to the person and say, hey, I don't think I really did that well. Um, Could we but this is worth like this is worth having a separate conversation. Like I want to make sure that I'm here for you. I want to make sure I hear your side of the story. Um, or your perspective, I want to make sure that, you know, we're, we, we end on the same page. And so can we have like a take two? And I've had a lot of people who've been very kind to give me that take two. Um, but it's, it's, it's not easy out of the box. You have to practice. What are some of the mistakes that people that are new to giving feedback make? I think they don't give feedback. I think that's probably the number one mistake is they get so in their heads about like, oh my God, like, Yes, I, I has to go perfectly. It has to go well. I'm a manager with like a capital M. Ah, I'm a leader, right? And that it goes hand in hand with the practice. It's like, yeah, the first time you get feedback, like you're not going to be good at it. <laughs> Probably unless you're like a savant, in which case, please come and talk to me because I want to learn from you. Um, but it's like getting comfortable being like, yeah, you're, you might, you're, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to make mistakes. Like you're a man, a manager is a human, just like anyone else, but you have to get over that. (laughs) You have to get over like the the fear of that. You have to do it because at the end of the day, um, this person's growth and development is, is that takes priority over your own feelings of discomfort. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I don't know anything about SBI. Could you say a little bit about that framework? Yeah. So it's an acronym. It stands for situation behavior impact. So the situation piece is the context piece. So what, what was happening when, you know, this, this, you witnessed this behavior, whatever happened, happened. Um, Because right, everything is, everything is contextual. You know, sometimes it's, it all depends, you know, this exact same behavior can be like, that was so effective. That was amazing. Or it can be like, oh, that was super ineffective. And and the situation really determines that. So that's the first piece. Um, The behavior is, you know, what was actually observed. Um, I think that's another thing in terms of feedback is, is I'm always thinking about um, behaviors. Like what was, what was, um, what, what was the demonstrable, demonstrable thing that you observed, right? Versus like a characteristic, you know, a personal characteristic, like, oh, well, you're always, um, you're careless with time, right? That's different than like, you have been late to this meeting a few times. You know, that's something that I witnessed that that's a behavior um, versus like this, like character judgment, right? And, and when it's a behavior, you can, you can change that. You can change a behavior. You can't change like who you are, <laughs> you know? And you shouldn't mm-hmm. have to change who you are. So even that, like thinking about behaviors versus traits, I think is, is really helpful. Um, and then the impact, right? Like, 
what, uh, what resulted as, uh, what was the end result of, of this behavior in that situation? And that could be an amazing impact. It could be a less than amazing impact. Um, you know, and that could have an impact on specific quantitative goals that could be like a team impact, you know, of like, Hey, I think you kind of brought the morale of the team down. That could be an impact on you, you know, Hey, this was this deliverable was late. That meant that I had to pick up the slack. Right. But, but what happened as a, as a result of that, um, I, I say to my, I say to the team here that like the SBI is, is I'm very aware that that is the entry point into a conversation. It's not the conversation itself, right? Like that's sort of like framing the nugget of feedback. And then you need to say to this person, like, just leave that out there. And like, what do you think about that? What was your perspective? The conversation afterwards is the hard part. SBI is sometimes the easy part. Um, so uh, it's a it's a helpful framework. It's also a jumping off point. Got it. Um, a couple more things. We've got a couple minutes here. And one thing I wanted to talk about briefly was like the people ops community in Boston specifically. So I've had a few conversations on the podcast with people ops pros and some have mentioned you by name. Some have mentioned, uh, Jen Paxton at privy. Like there are people that are well known in Boston that are supportive and like open to helping folks. Like, can you talk a little bit about your experience with like other Boston people operations pros? Yeah. I, I love this community so much and I owe so much of the fact that I have <laughs> so much of what I've learned in the past year to them. Um, yeah, Jen Paxson and Privy, Allison Sprawl, Connect RN, um, Adrian Barnard, ASICS Digital, um, uh, a ton of other people, Sarah, uh, Salbu at Mendix, like, um, oh, geez. Uh, yeah, <laughs> more people than I can remember right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, it has been, yeah, I mean, I think that it, I was actually really surprised once I, once I took this job, I was kind of like, the first thing I really did was sort of put out some feelers to people to be, you know, just people I saw doing interesting things on LinkedIn or like, Oh, that was, that's a cool perspective. Just like, let's see if they want to have coffee or lunch with me. I, I was not really expecting, you know, folks to be as welcoming and open as they were, but they, they are. And it's, it's so wonderful. I mean, I think it's really important in people ops to have that network, especially when you're at a smaller company, because, um, you might not have a counterpart internally that you can bounce ideas off of or that you can like get support from. And I think that's huge too of like, I mean, a lot of people ops work is, is emotionally um, taxing <laughs> and you have to, it's like, you know, you have to put on your mask before you help, like put on someone else's mask. Like you need your own outlet so that you can show up and you're, you have your mindset set, right. To give people the attention that they deserve and the empathy that they deserve. Um, and I think that that's like the Boston Bebops community is amazing because I get so many great ideas from them. You know, we help each other, but also like, we're just there to support each other. You know, like I can, I have a bunch of people I can slack or text and just be like, Oh my God, this day was so shitty. Oh, this is, you know, and be like, I've been there. Right. And, and that's like, just so, so huge, um, to, to being effective in, in this role. That's great. It's, it's not really that surprising to hear that it's, it's like that strong, the common themes of talking to you and people that do what you do, like the, the human element of, you know, one of the first things you talked about was like actually caring and listening and being empathetic. Like it's, 
those are good foundational pieces to like build a community around. So it, it's just interesting to hear about how strong that bond is. And then the last question is um, when people talk about working at Lola, like, what do you hope that they would say? <laughs> I, I would hope they say a lot of things, but I think that, but two things that are most important to me is um, that they felt like they could be authentic here, that they felt welcomed um, and included and that they belonged. Um, we are so, so, uh, we care so deeply about, um, inclusion here and that, you know, regardless of who you are, what your background is, what you're interested in, what your past experiences might've been, um, that you feel like you can come to work and and be yourself. So I think that would be the number one thing. Um, and I think the second thing I would, I would love to hear is that they were, um, challenged here and that they grew and that they learned and, you know, that we were, that this job, um, was a, or this company was a, was a good step in their career that helped them, you know, level up a step function to get to whatever goal that they wanted to get to. Um, and that doesn't even just have to be professionally, right? Like, um, maybe you, maybe your goal is to really balance, uh, balance your work and home life, you know, and, and we're very, we try to be incredibly flexible and accommodating and and enable people to balance all parts of their lives. Maybe that's your goal. Like I would be thrilled if we help would help you get there. That's great. Those are lofty things to strive for, but I think that, uh, that's really important. We have a couple minutes left. Um, we can either wrap now or I wasn't sure if, if Mike Volpe would want you to pitch Lola before we wrap up or like, oh, is there anything else you want to fit in? <laughs> Listen, if you, if you have any, uh, if you do a lot of business travel, we would love to talk with you. Lola makes it super simple to uh, <laughs> book and, and manage your business travel. Um, oh my gosh. Volpe does it so much better than I do. <laughs> but I hope I did like it partially justice. Yeah. Um, I figured we'd give you some space if you wanted to give it a shot. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Come check us out. Lola.com. It's purple. There's a lot of wombats on the site. It's a fun site. If nothing else, just come and see if you can find the hidden wombats because there are some. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this and I'm looking forward to listening back to, um, to pull some more stuff out. So I just wanted to say thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. This was amazing. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great day. All right. You too. Thanks.